I don't need to yell. You guys have got it. It's awesome. So good to have everybody here. Can we just remain standing for one second? I know I saw some sneaky people over here trying to sit down really quickly. So I'm going to pray before we get into it. Can we pray? Can we, can we do something special today? Can we just open our hands out like this, like we're about to receive from God? This is, for those of you who this who church is, this is, might be something new to you, just, just go with it. Relax. It's all good. Father, we thank you that today we celebrate that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And today we receive new revelation about what it is that that accomplished in our lives. And we pray that our hearts and eyes and ears would be opened to hear the message that you want to share. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, you guys can take your seats. It is so good to see so many of you. You're looking absolutely amazing all the way in the back corner over there. If you can see me, give me a wave. Fantastic. Joel Adams, yes, we can see you. You're a good man. Lucky. So you're getting involved in baptisms on Sunday. So I hear, let's have a convo. Let's just chat about this. So you're just going to jump off the drums and then jump in the pool and it's going to be great. We've got about 20 people getting baptized on Sunday. It's amazing. That's worth celebrating and giving God some praise for. Amen. And I'd like to give a huge amount of credit to our kids team and our youth team for actually training up so many of these young kids and raising them in the right way, helping them to to go through that process. They're discipling children really well and young people really well. So a lot of our young uh, youth leaders and, and we've got some great adults. It's a really good mix. And I'm like, I'm super excited about Sunday. It's going to be great. Now, I need to teach you something about Sunday. All right. Is any, anyone here Greek heritage in the room? No. No. So on Sunday, I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to say Christos Anesti. All right? And you're all going to respond with Alithos Anesti. Can you try that? Alithos Anesti. Basically, it means he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Like Greg said before, this may be Friday, but Sunday is coming. Amen? I'm getting too ahead of my sermon. I better look at some notes. It's great. Hey, if this is your first time here, so a big warm welcome to you, especially TJ and Jennifer down here in the front row, driving through from Melbourne, decided to stop off for church. They're going to have church with us this morning. On their way to Adelaide, I just I don't understand why people would drive to Adelaide, though. It's like, we love Adelaide. I've only been there, I think, once. Awesome. Uh, welcome to Good Friday. I'm going to share a few thoughts with you about what the cross means to me. And in a few moments, for everybody who is watching online, um, we would love to welcome you to this service as well. But in a few moments, I want to present people with an opportunity to be able to respond to this message and respond and accept Jesus into their heart as Lord and Savior. So please. Be ready and be mindful that that opportunity is going to come a little bit later in the service. But on Good Friday, we remember Jesus and his sacrifice for us. But why did he have to go to the cross? This whole story starts with the cross. Easter, we look at Friday, it starts with the cross. And there's a typical society avoidance when it comes to talking about Easter and what it truly means. If you walk up to any kid, sometimes in church and sometimes in the street, they will tell you what Easter means to them. It means the Easter bunny or it means chocolate and lots of chocolate and Easter egg hunts and hot cross buns. 
And if you ask an adult out in the street, they'll say it means camping. Sometimes if you ask an adult in church, what does Easter mean? It means camping. And we've got a lot of people, and I hope um, some of you guys are watching online from your tent, wherever you are, or your caravan, and you are feeling convicted right now. No. We love you. And that's the thing, is that Easter is a time, and this is different for me. Easter in the country is a time where people go camping. Where I come from in the city is a time where people came to the city. Um, and like, it, was, it was completely different. So this is new for us, and we have to get used to the different cultures. But what is um, Christmas? What does Easter really mean? There's a way bigger meaning to Easter than all of that chocolate. And who's had too much already? You know you're not supposed to eat it until Sunday, right? You're supposed to eat the hot cross buns. And who found it interesting that hot cross buns were out on the shelves the day after Christmas? Praise God. <laughs> I tell you, if you want the best hot crust buns, you need to go and see Will down at Baker's Delight and get the cinnamon apple ones. Cinnamon apple hot crust buns. and They are divine. But I want to dive into a passage of scripture this morning that I believe sets the scene for what Easter is really all about. And you've got to picture this. Jesus standing before a council or a, 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 a judge on trumped up charges by people who didn't like him or what he stood for. So they made up some accusations against him and they brought him before Pilate, who was the Roman ruler for that region. He reported to Caesar and through all the different conversations and the the accusations, Pilate gets to the point where I'm going to wash my hands of all of this and you guys can go and crucify this Jesus even though I don't think there's really anything he's done wrong, but you guys can just have your way. And I'm going to release a common criminal into your care instead. And Jesus is whipped, not just whipped with a normal whip, but whipped with a whip that's got bones, bits of bone and, and, and metal, and it tears away at the flesh. He's got a crown of thorns placed on his head. He's beaten, bruised, humiliated, Stripped naked and made to carry his cross up the street towards Golgotha. This is the setting of the scene for what happens next. And it says here that they brought Jesus to the execution site called Golgotha, which means Skull Hill, where they offered him a mild painkiller, a drink of wine mixed with gall, but he refused to drink it. They nailed his hands and feet to the cross. The soldiers divided his clothing among themselves by rolling dice to see who would win them. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they finally crucified him. Above his head, they placed a sign with the inscription of the charge against him, which read, This is the King of the Jews. Two criminals were also crucified next to him um, with Jesus, one on either side of him. They fulfilled this, fulfilled the scripture that he was considered to be. A criminal. Those who passed by shook their heads and spitefully ridiculed him, saying, Aha, you boasted that you could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Why don't you save yourself now and just come down from the cross? Even the ruling priests and religious scholars joined in the mockery and kept laughing among themselves, saying he saved others, but he can't even save himself. Israel's king, is he? And there we go. Sorry, I was relying on that too much. 
They mocked him. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, pull out the nails and come down from the cross right now. We'll believe it when we see it. Even the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus began to taunt him, hurling insights on him for three hours. Beginning at noon, darkness came over the earth. At about three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a mighty voice in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? Some were standing near the cross, misunderstood and said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. One bystander ran and got a sponge and soaked it with sour wine and then put it on a stick and held it up for Jesus to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to rescue him. Just then, Jesus passionately cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn in two from the top to the bottom. When the Roman military officer who was standing right in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, there is no doubt that this man was the son of God. No doubt. Jesus died on that Good Friday, but it doesn't seem to be particularly much good about this in the story. It seemed like a tragedy. This is not a nice tale. This is not something that's going, oh, that's nice. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Isn't that lovely? This is not that story. This is, a, this is horrific. He was beaten, bruised, bloodied. He was embarrassed. He was humiliated in front of everybody who was there, including his family. Even his mother walked past and was distraught in that scenario. You've got to set the scene. You've got to understand what he was going through. There wasn't much good on that Good Friday, but the good that was about to happen was going to be good for generations to come. Amen. In a few moments, I want to give you that opportunity to respond to what Jesus did, but it all started with the cross. You know, that cross is a harsh piece of equipment. I had de delivered to my house yesterday a whole bunch of sleepers to make some garden beds for vegetables right in our garden. And I was looking at those. And I'm going, these are actually pretty smooth. There's, there's new technology for cutting these out. They're not that rough. But the, the rough wooden cross back in those days would have been full of splinters. It would not have been, like, it wouldn't have been cut in a mill. It would have been hand carved. It would not have been smooth and gone, oh, well, this is kind of comfortable. No, this would have been very uncomfortable. But that rough piece of um, equipment was designed for pain. It was designed for maximum pain. It was designed to be a spectacle, an embarrassment, a humiliation. People were stripped naked and left to hang on the cross. You often will see pictures depicting Jesus hanging on the cross with just a loincloth, looking you know, like it's very stylized. That wasn't the case. Everything was laid bare. You were embarrassed. There was nothing to hide when you hang on the cross. It was designed by the Persians in about 500 BC, but it was perfected by the Romans whose ideology around pain was beyond cruel. The crucifixion was the most painful way to die. It asphyxiated you. It caused you not just to hang there, but you suffocated while you were still alive. It was painful. And I know some of you are going, looking at me like, going, where's this going? This is horrific. There's good news ahead. Okay. 
Stay with me. But not only were the victims of this death nailed to a cross, but they also had to carry their own cross. Imagine that. Someone says, that's it, you're sentenced to death. On the way, you need to carry this big beam, and it wouldn't have been light, up this hill to go and get crucified. You're lugging this thing. Imagine the humility. I probably would have been, no, I'm not doing that. Make me. Well, we're about to. I'm just, I'm just picturing what Jesus went through. This was the premier form of capital punishment in that area and location where Jesus was born to. So it was in this manner, this crucifixion, that Jesus was killed, nailed to a cross, humiliated in front of everyone. I want you to see this picture because I want you to understand. Because so often we look at the cross and we're going, that was great that Jesus did that for me. I understand that, yes, he died and that paid the price for my sin, but how he died was horrific. How he died was terrible. It was not something that was easy. It was not something that was like, oh, I'll just go through this and get it over with. No, this was Jesus in the garden the days before, sweating great drops of blood, saying, Father, if there's any other way than this, let's go and do that, please. He saw how much it was going to cost him personally. But why? Why did he have to do it? We understand why the cross was so important. We have to understand why the cross was so important and who Jesus is to be able to grasp the value of what he accomplished on that day. We have to understand. See, Jesus is God. 100% human, 100% divine. You're going, hang on, that's 200%. No, it's 100%. This is God's math does not equal our mental capacity for understanding math. He gave up his divine rights to become human, but at the same time maintained his divine rights to keep his divinity. He was, in all essence, God. And he humbled himself. After man sinned in the garden, we have to look at this picture. After man sinned in the garden, sin entered the world. But then God created this perfect pathway for man to become right with God again. So back before Jesus came, there was a system of punishment and forgiveness. Punishment and restoration. I'll get the words right. We all know and have heard from the Bible that the punishment of sin is death. So back before Jesus came, a death was required to cover our sin. And in those days, a lamb, perfect, spotless, without blemish, was offered to cover, the, to be the sacrifice that covered our sins. And this would have to be a regular occurrence. People would keep going back to the temple. I've sinned again. I'm going to keep coming back. I've sinned again. I've got to keep offering my sacrifice. I've sinned again. But then Jesus came and he became that spotless lamb, that sacrifice that ended sin's hold on us once and for all. It wiped the slate clean so that every time we come back, we come back, yes, we fall, we fall in sin, but we come back to the cross, which already happened, and say, yes, I've sinned, I've fallen over, but there's that point, that marker in history where sin has no power anymore moving forward. The cross was the avenue for him to be sacrificed for our sin. It was the most cruel way. Understanding the cross is essential to the Christian faith. What happened that day on that rugged piece of timber, what price was paid 
for you and I to become right with God again. It was the ultimate price, the price of a life for our life. But this cross leads us into a decision. It leads us to the crossroads. The crossroads means we have a choice to make. And we're almost at that point of decision here today. If you're watching online, stay with us. There is a decision that each one of us needs to make in our heart. But the beautiful thing about this decision, this crossroads, is that Jesus doesn't force us. God doesn't force us. We're not robots somehow under God's control going, do, 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 do. No, we don't do that. He doesn't make decisions for us. This is what we call our free will. We have the, every opportunity to look at the gift that God has given us and say, no, thanks. Think about that for a second. We have every opportunity to say, no, thanks. It's not for me. It's not my bag. Picture this. You're caught in the middle of a crime, which you did. There's no way around it. You, you did it. You committed it. You're caught in the act of committing this crime. All right? And you're standing in a courtroom in front of a judge. And the prosecution is standing over here. And he's saying, this person did this, 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 and this. And instead of your argument for why you didn't do it, you just can make excuses. Oh, it was my upbringing. Oh, I was, it was all of these things. Oh, there's someone else's fault. Oh, this and that. But the judge, in their wisdom, stands in front and proclaims the verdict guilty. Which is true, right? Guilty. Guilty. Then he proceeds to hand down the sentence for your crime. The punishment is death. And you're standing there like shocked. I don't know what to do. The next thing that happens, the judge stands up from his seat, takes off his robe, comes down and stands in front of you and says, my son's going to take your place. My son is going to stand and serve that punishment in your place. We've got a choice to make. Imagine standing there and saying, no thanks. I'll be right. I'll figure another way out. I think I can get out of this on my own. You know, this is immediate. This is happening now. There is no other way out. We need to realize and put the value on that, that without God in our lives, without Jesus having done that, that sacrifice on the cross for our sins, death is imminent. That's our punishment. And that's what we get. But the choice is yours. You are at a crossroads. Eternity hangs in the balance of the decisions that we make. The Bible declares that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But once you are presented with that opportunity, then it is up to you. The responsibility lies on you to either accept or reject Jesus. What did you do with that response? Jesus leads us into another question that once we actually respond to him, he says, take up your cross and follow me. This is the cross walk. We need to start to walk in the way of the cross. We need to look at that. 
Mark chapter 8, 34 and 35, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. There's a decision to be made again. We can accept Jesus and go, yep, I, I accept you into my heart as Lord and Savior. But then I think there's another decision that happens after that. And that is to hand over control, to say, God, I'm going to walk like you. I'm going to change everything. And now I know there's a process of transformation and sanctification that comes with being a Christian and those things happen over time. But there's a decision that we need to make is are we going to be in or are we going to be all in? Are we going to be in or are we going to be all in? Are we just going to go, you know what, I'm Sundays for church. That's my relationship with God in a nutshell. Or am I going to live an all-in life for the gospel? Or am I going to sell everything else out and go and follow Jesus? Jesus stood at the shore with a bunch of fishermen standing there who were mending their nets. And he said to them, leave what you're doing and come and follow me. That was it. And they were going, looking around going, who's this guy? And, but they did. They followed Jesus. They left their jobs, their livelihoods. They left families. They went and followed Jesus. There's a decision that we need to make again. And we're about to make that decision this morning. If we make that decision, our own decision to follow Jesus, what happens next is incredible. We experience the crossover. The crossover from death to life. The crossover from darkness to light. The crossover from fear into faith. The crossover from hate to love. The crossover from sin to saved. We cross over. What he did for us on that day, I'm telling you right now, we were all in the future here, 2,000 years later. Even back then, we were headed in the wrong direction, but Jesus made it possible for us to turn around, to cross over into from hell to heaven. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 says, In the past, you were dead because you sinned and fought against God. You followed the ways of the world and obeyed the devil. He rules the world and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. Once we were also ruled by the same selfish desires of our bodies and minds. We had made God angry and we were going to be punished like everyone else. But God was merciful. We were dead because of our sins, but God loved us so much that he made us alive with Christ and God's wonderful kindness is what saves you. God raised us from death to life with Jesus Christ. And He has given us a place beside Christ in heaven. God did this so that in the future world, He could show how truly good and kind He is to us because of what Christ Jesus has done. You were saved by faith in God, who treats us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you and not anything you have done on your own. It isn't something you have earned. So there is nothing that you can brag about God's plan. God planned for us to do good things and live and to live as he has always wanted us to live. That's why he sent Christ to make us what we are. When we accept Jesus Christ into our heart and give him control, the Bible teaches us 
that we will then live together with him in eternity, forever, forever and ever. Eternity is a long time and we get to live with him. If we choose the other way, if we reject that gospel, that good news that Christ came and died for us, there is still an eternity to be lived. But it's just not in heaven with Jesus. It's in a place called the lake of fire, hell. And you don't want to do that. It's constant torture. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, I want to draw your attention to one word in this verse. And that is the word, whoever. You might be sitting here this morning. You might be sitting in your lounge room watching online. You might be somewhere in a cafe. You might be driving in a car or in a tent somewhere. And you might be thinking, this does not apply to me. I've done so much wrong. Pastor Andrew, you could not possibly know all of the stuff that I've done wrong. No, I don't. But God does. And He loves you anyway. And He calls you to Himself today to respond to Him. You know, Jesus died on the cross and He stretched His arms wide for us to save us from our sins because our sins are now crossed out. They are wiped clean. There is a clean slate. It says that when we get to heaven, that all of the things that we have done wrong, God's got this here and He's going, hang on, this has been covered by the blood of the Lamb that was spilled on Calvary. There is no sin here. I cannot see what... And you might be thinking in your mind, going, hang on, but I've done this and I've this and I've this and I've this. But Jesus has perfected the art of forgetfulness. Not just forgiveness, but His forgiveness wipes out all of our past, all of our mistakes, all of our sin, all of our shame, everything that we've done wrong. He wiped it out. He crossed it out. And I am right now, we're going to have an invitation for anybody within the sound of my voice to accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Now is the time. Now is the time. So what I want you to do right here, if you're in this room, I want you just to bow your head. Close your eyes. We don't want anybody looking around. The cameras, they're focused right in on me. So you don't have to worry about somebody catching a hand or anything like that or, or any movement. They're only focused right here. So this morning, I'm going to ask you very simply, if you're in this room this morning, I want you just to do something really simple and say, Pastor Andrew, I need Jesus' love in my heart. I want to accept Him as Lord and Savior. All I want you to do is just slip up your hand and I'll see it and I'll tell you to put it down. And, just, and, and then we're going to pray a prayer. So if that's you, and maybe you have never accepted Jesus into your heart, maybe you've never accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, I want to just ask you really simply just to slip up your hand I'll see it. Put it down. Yes, I see that hand. You can put that down. Thank you. That's great. Is there anybody else who wants to accept Jesus this morning? Yes, I see that hand. You can put it down. That down. Thank you, Jesus. It may be there's something that you have done. And you go, Andrew, I've prayed that prayer before, but I know in my heart that I am not living the cross walk. I am not following Jesus with my life, which is actually required. We're not just here to be called to be saved. We are called to live with purpose. If you want to rededicate your life to Jesus today, why don't you just slip up your hand as well? If you're watching online, you can put something in the chat. You can email us, info at harvestchurch.org.au. We would love to pray and connect with you as well. Fantastic. What we're going to do right now, 
If there's people in this room, and I know you've slipped up your hand, you've, you want to accept Jesus. But there's also people in this room who like, oh, I'm a little bit embarrassed, I'm a little bit shy. That's okay. We're going to all pray this prayer together. Amen? We're all going to pray this prayer together. So why don't you repeat after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift you gave on the cross when you died for my sins. I thank you because of that act. All of my sins are now crossed out. I am forgiven. I'm a new creation and a child of God. I am sorry for everything that I've done to bring you shame and to not live up to the expectations on me. And I'm glad that now I am a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we give a huge round of applause for all of those people who are accepting Jesus right now? And if that was you, whether you're in this room or not, we've actually got these brand new Bibles that we would love to, to give to you, to bless you with, so that you can mark the occasion that happened today. You crossed over. You took a step of faith and you walked from darkness into light. And we would love for you to take this. Now you might say, hey, I've already got a Bible. That's okay. Take this one. Write today's date right inside the front cover. This is a New Testament Bible. It's got lots of graphics in there and pictures and images and explains. And it's not in the right format. It starts with the book of Romans, which teaches us all about our salvation journey. So if you want one of these, our team, our pastors are going to be at the doors on the exits. They are going to um, bless you with one of those and just catch up with you and pray with you for just a moment. How good is God?